The Minnesota Vikings finally got in the win column, even though like a whole bunch of stuff went wrong. Let's break it down on the Lockdown Vikings podcast. You liked it on three, one, two, three. You, liked it! you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, where we try to learn something new every day. I am your host, Luke Braun. This show is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every single day. Thank you so much to those of you who listen to this show every single day. I appreciate you all greatly. You can find this show wherever you find all of your favorite shows, whether it is any podcast listening app, including the SiriusXM app, as well as YouTube and Amazon Fire and Roku, if you download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app on those. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNFL. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnNFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Today on the show, of course, we're recapping the Vikings 21-13 victory over the Carolina Panthers. Felt like it went down to the wire, but it was another one of those games where, like, when you win by eight and you have the ball with a minute to go, it's never as close as it looks. Um, Like, if you can go to numberfire.com, I think that's one of the places that you can get, like, all of the game-by-game win probability charts for free, or you can find them if you follow the right Twitter accounts. Um, you'll kind of see that throughout that entire final sequence, um, and if you missed the game, the Vikings were up 21 to 13, Bryce Young driving at the end of the game, uh, and they actually got a goal to go situation. The, the game ended or the, the, the last play was fourth and goal that the, that the Panthers had the ball and then the Vikings were able to eat up the rest of the clock. That felt like a really dicey situation. It kind of felt like, oh man, the game all comes down to this. But I kind of always feel like I have to mention this. Like, if you look at the the win probability, they've got like 80% chance to win at that point. Like, it's super lopsided at that point. We are not in this 50-50, anything can happen kind of situation. It only feels like it is because we're hurt as Vikings fans, which is fair. But it's something to be aware of, that the, the Panthers, let's say that they didn't uh, fall apart and give up two sacks on their final possession, which is what happened. Harrison Smith gets a sack. Uh, and then I think, actually, Harrison Smith gets both of the sacks. Um, two of his three happened in that last series. If that doesn't happen, let's say they score the touchdown, they still would have needed the two-point conversion, and they would have needed to stop the Vikings with a minute and two timeouts needing just a field goal to take the lead back, and then that only gets them to overtime. So that's all the stuff that they would have had to win just to get back to a 50-50 shot if you consider overtime a 50-50 shot. Um, Those factors are going to make it so that like a lot of the analytics models are a lot less freaky about, Oh my God, it's first and goal on the nine. Cause it's still like, there's a lot of stuff that has to go right for the Panthers. So that, that all that said, and the Vikings like outgain the Panthers and better EPA and all that stuff and, and truly beat the Panthers in every measurable way. It still doesn't feel like it. Does it, doesn't it feel like the Vikings kind of had this sloppy game and got away with one? Um, I think there's a lot of things that go into it, but before I move off of that final sequence, I do want to say from a clock management perspective, there was a crucial timeout that the Panthers had to take because they didn't have all their ducks in a row for one of the plays down near the goal line. They had to blow a timeout there. 
because of the crowd noise. And after last week, when there was all this hubbub about if the Vikings fans were too loud when the Vikings were trying to get that last play in and they should, you know, the the fans caused the issue or whatever. I don't think anybody on the actual team said that. I think just only some like shock jocks did. But uh, for all of that... (laughs) It's pretty sweet to see road fans go have that kind of impact. So uh, good work, everybody. Go team. Um, beyond that, though, it, it does kind of feel worse than it is. And that's because there were all these crazy swingy problems, a huge pick six and the offense just sort of being futile a lot of the time, a lot of three and outs on offense, uh, a, a lot of times where the the Panthers offense would make a mistake. And it didn't really feel like the Vikings defense like earned that negative play or whatever. So we'll go through a lot of those things. But I think like the mixed feeling on this game, I, I like I totally get it. Um, and I guess let's start with the just the absolute monster class that the defense put on. So the Vikings defense gives up the, the Vikings as a team give up 13 points, right? Seven of those come on a pick six. That's not the defense. Two field goals. That is all the defense gives up in the entire game. Now, part of that is that there's only 10 possessions in this game for each team. And that's a low amount. 12 is typical. So there's fewer possessions, fewer chances to score. That said, only two is still pretty incredible, even considering that. Um, One of those as well was a career-long Eddie Pinheiro field goal. A career-long field goal against the Vikings. What else is new? Uh, That came at the end of the half after another turnover. So 10 points off turnovers, 13 total. That feels like if you're making the Panthers drive down the field, they could not do it. And that's Brian Flores' unit being fully dominant. And the more advanced stats, EPA and all that stuff, absolutely uh, corroborate this. Um, It was a dominant effort. And how they did that, I think, came down to a bunch of things. For one, the Flores blitzes just got to the Panthers. Remember I said kind of all year that this is a defense that asks a question, can you handle this blitz? here's the problem I present to you. And if you can solve it, congratulations, you get to move the ball. And if you can't, you die. Carolina did not have the answer to that question, and they died. That's just the the, the philosophy doing what it is meant to do on the whiteboard. And there are so many examples of that, including probably the biggest thing was a scoop and score by DJ Wanham on a blitz from an unblocked Harrison Smith who gets a strip sack and the ball squirts out. DJ Wanham's is closest to it, and he can easily scoop and scamper that thing in for what would ultimately be the uh, go-ahead touchdown. And the Panthers wouldn't score again after that. It was already thirteen to six to seven at that point, and uh, the Vikings go up fourteen thirteen, and that would have been it. And you can remove that scoop and score um, on Arif Hassan's sub stack, which is good. I begrudge begrudgingly admit that it's fantastic. Um, he did the the calculation if you take away that turnover the panthers still had negative epa per play on the day um that is a win for the defense so part of it was just the blitz is getting home part of it was some really good uh performances by guys like cam bynum who's who's still cooking um i, I again I've, I've already mentioned separately all three harrison smith sacks but three Harrison Smith sacks and he sets this insane stat line it's like 14 tackles, three sacks and a and a forced fumble and I, I I think I saw somewhere that nobody's ever done that. That's that's a stat line that nobody's ever done like all of those things that much. Um crazy 
stuff. And to just to think of what could have happened last year if they blitzed Harrison Smith more than like three times. It's just this absolutely insane miss of personnel evaluation that, that Ed Donatel did last year. But we're over it. We're through it. And we're here. And, and Kevin O'Connell lamented this as well. It's like, oh, man, you know, so much better than last year. He's in position to make a play again. <laughs> it's like, oh, boy. All right. Let's get a little spicy. Uh, Kevin O'Connell. Um, it was all really cool. There's other stuff with the defense that I want to mention, as well as the rushing offense, and a not-so-great day from Kirk Cousins, so we still have plenty to talk about coming up. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, and hiring can be an incredibly daunting task. It feels like this crazy, risky thing where you have to you can only get to know someone so much and then you have to like invest in them as a company. And LinkedIn Jobs is there to help you bridge that information gap and make that thing less risky. Give yourself more information to work uh, to work from. You can get the right people for your team faster and for free. Just go add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile and the word will spread that you are hiring. And they have all kinds of simple tools like screening questions that help you figure out exactly who you want to prioritize and who is right for you and your company. No two companies are made the same. And that means that no two companies have the exact same needs. This ain't a cookie cutter world and LinkedIn knows that. It's why LinkedIn Jobs is rated number one by small businesses in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NFL. That's linkedin.com slash NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you all so much for making Lockdown Vikings your first listen of the day. If you want more in-depth Minnesota Vikings content, or if you want preview content that will tell you, I nailed it with my scouting of the, the Panthers. Uh, I said exactly what would happen. I said the, that they should blitz, not necessarily stunting a whole bunch, just send more guys than they have blockers, understanding that that puts you in a disadvantageous, disadvantageous position in coverage and sort of trust that Bryce Young will run around and do stupid crap. Guess what? He ran around and gave up a strict strip sack for a scoop and score that changed the whole game. Booyah. I'm taking that W. If you want that kind of thing, you can go to patreon.com slash Luke Braun NFL. Um, what I didn't get, though, and this is super cool. So I look, you could flip on a Panthers game and see, oh, look, when there's pressure, he runs like you can notice that that's pretty apparent. I, f I figured that one out. What I wasn't smart enough to figure out, Brady Quinn actually explained on the broadcast. And I thought it was super, super cool was something that apparently the Vikings had talked to him about before, like in their like pregame team meeting. And um, they had essentially noticed that when Bryce Young feels pressure, he won't keep his base perpendicular to the line of scrimmage like you're supposed to. In an ideal world, you know, you'll have, you'll be standing perpendicular to the line of scrimmage, right? And you'll be looking down the field surveying. And if you feel pressure and say you need to sidestep some pressure, you take that step, but you keep your hips on the same angle. You keep your feet on the same angle. Bryce Young wouldn't do that. He would kind of turn himself parallel to the line of scrimmage and then like backpedal. Uh, and if he would do that, that takes some of the field away because now that your hips are facing the line of scrimmage instead of facing the sideline like they're supposed to, if you want to throw to your right, you have to then turn around and reset your base in a really, really difficult way. You're going to have to turn your body almost 180 degrees. And so it sort of takes a whole bunch of the field away. So the Vikings sort of realized if they can get pressure from that direction and get him to ruin his throwing base like that, they can sort of abandon a whole side of the coverage and get away with it. 
And that can cause these plays to have to really run around and go into total chaos mode. And guess what? When you're facing a rookie quarterback, chaos mode helps the defense. We can do this. I thought that was really cool uh, game plan thing. And it's it's the sort of thing that I'm you know learning how to look for. Uh, I don't know. Felt like I learned something there. It was pretty cool. We're learning something new every day. This is going to be the new thing I say at the beginning of every show. I think that best encapsulates Locked On Vikings. Just try to learn something new. Um, a couple other players to shout out. I, I shouted out Cam Bynum, but I mean, it's, he's very consistent. I think he just has improved a lot as a safety. No caveats. Um, he's really thriving in this Brian Flores system. He's reading things quickly. He's driving quickly. He's making good tackles. Um, I think he's just a good starting safety. And I honestly, I think the Vikings should be closer to extending him than figuring out how to replace him with Lewis scene or whatever. And I also want to shout out Marcus Davenport, uh, who actually played in this game. He was active and everything. No Garrett Bradbury again. It was Austin Schlotman again. They're still trying. They're feeling optimistic every week and they won't get it. We'll see what happens. Those back injuries can do that. Um, but with Davenport ankle injuries tend to not last forever. Once they're healed, they're healed, at least in the world, uh, not in like the medical world, like it's going to be sore for the rest of his life. But, uh, you know, when you sprain it you know, four times, he's sprained his ankle like two years ago once. And then um, he had this ankle problem uh, this year from camp. So from a medical standpoint, of course, once you're injured, you're injured. But from an athletics NFL standard of hurt, it's going to co- heal to a point where you're playing through it. Pretty much always. It sounds like he had some kind of setback earlier in the season, which is why he didn't come back as quickly as they were anticipating. And people got really weird about it. And people always get weird about injuries. So if you're one of these people, I'm asking you to look in the mirror a little bit and think, you know, use critical thinking, right? For one, um, the sort of made out of glass allegations. I don't know, man. I, I feel so weird ever saying that about somebody that I couldn't beat in a fight, which is describes every NFL player. So I'll never be like, oh, he'll be, he's made of glass. I'll talk about injury risk in terms of like the, the real risk that I think exists based on kind of what I know about injuries, which is basically like what I can Google. Like I'm no expert. Uh, but, you know, like Andrew Booth, okay, he presents an injury risk, but to call him like not tough or some people were saying he like didn't like Davenport doesn't want to play or he's just, he's like fleecing the Vikings and stealing a contract. That's a bridge too far. And honestly, I think if you were the kind of person that was thinking that uh, you should reevaluate where you get your information and why you were thinking that way, because ultimately it was an ankle injury that kept him out three games and now he's back. That's a really normal thing that happens to NFL players all the time, no matter who they are. Uh, and I think a lot of people overreacted to it. And I think maybe there's a chance to reflect, I guess. And hey, maybe you didn't. Maybe you were totally fine about the whole thing. And that's fine. That's I don't need to turn your homework into me. I'm just saying maybe, you know, a look in the mirror can can never hurt, even if you like what you see or if you don't like what you see. But Davenport comes back and gets, I'm going to give him two sacks. I think one of them ends up being credited to DJ Wanham as he sort of slides off the ankles of Bryce Young, which he did miss a, a sack on Bryce Young as well on a big scramble that that converted a first down. Um, so that sucked, but DJ Wanham cleaned one of those up, and then there was another sack where he just got in off of a stunt, looped around, hit Bryce Young, got his sack. Better sack total than last year. Already, let's go. He's played one game. Let's do it. Or I guess one game and four snaps from the Eagles game. That technically counts. Um, but you, you saw a, a pass rusher that had impact. And beyond those plays, I saw him collapse guards in a lot and kind of force the pocket to get up into Bryce Young's lap in a way that he wasn't comfortable with. I saw him 
um, spin around and get other pressures and stuff. The spin move on the sack, the first sack he got, that wasn't really his, uh, was really great. I saw impact from Marcus Davenport in a way that I think was sorely, sorely, sorely needed. The Vikings needed someone that could beat Chandler Zavala one-on-one. Unfortunately, that guy's not Wanham, that guy's not Jones, that guy wasn't Bullard or whoever, but it was Davenport. That's the guy we needed. That was clearly part of the plan. Now, I think we can still ask questions of Quasi about like, depth and why were you so susceptible to one particular injury at edge why didn't you have better depth that could like beat bad guards in pass protection um but that's a much milder question than holy crap you just built a really bad pass rush right like that's a way worse thing to be talking about so we're happy about that i want to flip to the offense and talk a little bit about kirk but first a quick word on the run game the run game really got going in this one um in particular, Cam Akers got like seven or eight yards a touch. Alexander Madison, incredibly efficient. The Vikings were really efficient running the football. Uh, it's very nice to see that. And it caused there to be a sort of a low volume passing game. And hey, that's all right. If you know, whatever works, whatever's working is working, right? Um, but you only had 19 attempted passes from Kirk Cousins. Not in, not that doesn't count the sacks that he took. Um, But still, that's like not a lot of passing attempts. So a lower volume passing game, a keep it on the ground, control the game kind of thing. That's why there were fewer possessions and it sort of shortened the game a little bit. Um, Look, the offensive line, the dudes up front just dominated. No two ways about it. Give it to give it up for Schlotman and Cleveland and Ingram and Brian O'Neill and Christian Derrissaw push on everything. Double teams just sledding guys. And the Alexander Madison Cam Akers combo looked really nice. Madison had a really good game, his second good game in a row. And Cam Akers, when he came in, he came in for two different drives, did great on both of them. Basically, one for one replaced Ty Chandler. Um, also, should be noted, Dalton Reisner did not play. Uh, they were pretty cagey about it going into the game. They kind of said, well, maybe we'll, you know, rotate him in, we'll do this. So that ended up going with the same guys. Um, so I want to go back in time a little bit and revisit the, when, when the Vikings, uh, traded for acres and picked up Reisner, there was a lot made about like, wow, is Quasi on the hot seat? Is he panicking because he didn't build his roster well enough? And now he's making all these transactions. Uh, we got a backup running back and a backup guard. I think that was just some depth y'all. Uh, I don't think that that was like a major uh, flaw in roster construction, at least not the way the Vikings see it. Maybe you think that there was a significant flaw in roster construction and that Reisner should still start over Ingram and the fact that they're not is its own mistake. I think that's a perfectly valid position, but it's sort of a different argument. Um, the idea that those acquisitions were some sort of panic edits to the roster, to the, to like the starting lineup. Well, these guys ain't starting. I think they just picked up some depth dudes in after the first week of the season. Like, whatever y'all <laughs> or the first couple weeks of the season. Um, it's like, don't get your pants in a wad over like your Dave and Questenberry's. Like it, it's just part of what happens at the bottom of a roster. Anyways, um, a real quick word on Ed Ingram, who I thought was really, really good in the past or in the run game in the past game. I thought he was good, but really inconsistent. I'm sure that there is one play you're screaming at me about, which is the uh, second interception that Kirk cousins threw. He gets hit as he throws. That was Ingram's guy pretty clear as day that ball lobs up in the air um so he gets beat there and off the top of my head there's one other time he was pulling where he missed uh it was a run block where he missed and those are the two that i think were pretty ugly losses and there were like a whole bunch of really cool wins 
And I think it's a lot easier to remember the ugly losses for an offensive lineman than it is for the wins because the wins are boring and ex- and they aren't particularly flashy and kind of expected to us to a degree. So I don't know. For me, I, if there's 30 good reps and two bad ones, I need to make sure that I'm calibrating myself to like take that in properly. And how many you know bad ones do we accept from an offensive lineman versus how many bad ones do we expect from say Dalton Reisner, who based on the work that I did. Um, and you can watch the Patreon video. You don't even need to sub. It's it's a free Patreon video. Um, Reisner would have three or four like that a game. So if we're having two from Ingram and three or four from all the Broncos games that I, or at least the Broncos games I watched of Reisner, then it feels like we're in the we're making the right choice here. Um, but that's just me. I also want to get into the Kirk Cousins stuff here, um, which is going to be a little bit tougher to talk about because obviously it wasn't a great one from Kirk Cousins and that always gets a little controversial. So let's all take a deep breath and uh, we'll, we'll get through this together. You know what they say, good teams win, great teams cover. And if you bet on the Vikings at FanDuel, America's number one sports book, you would have won because the Vikings uh, won by eight and they were only favored, I think, by five when it closed at FanDuel. Uh, and you would have won. And if you missed out on that and you want to get in on it, that is totally fine because it's a pretty good time to join. Uh, new customers will get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place any $5 bet. For example, uh, I believe that the Chiefs opened as five and a half point favorites against the Vikings. So if you want an emotional hedge for if we get blown out and you want to go place a little bit on the on the Chiefs so at least you win some money if you have to watch a tough game, go do it. Put five bucks on it. You get $200 back in bonus bets, even if you don't win. So it is super worth your time. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. You can get spreads, player props, over-unders, and more on an easy-to-use app that is safe and secure, and you get paid out instantly when you win. Go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim that. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on to get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place any $5 bet. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So let's get into the to the Kirk Cousins thing this time. Um, here's what I'll say. I think any game is going to have have ups and downs, right? You're never going to have a game where the guy doesn't make any good plays. And you're never going to have a game where a guy doesn't make any bad plays. I don't think even like Mahomes, right? Go look at Mahomes against the Jets, right? He had a he had a rough day for him for his standards. He had a rough day for anybody's standards uh, against the Jets. But even on a good Mahomes day, there's still a play or two that he's going to say he wanted back, right? So my evaluative process is sort of to go play by play and then kind of tally it up later. And, and as I do that with Cousins, which I'll do more seriously when the tape is out, I find that there's only about half the plays that I'm like happy with um, and half the plays that I'm not happy with. Again, a lot of that needs to be rechecked on the tape, and that can swing massively. So grain of salt. But let me at least go over some of the ones that I can see very well. And I should probably start with the bad thing, the pick six, the snag rep. So picture this. It's third and goal. You're right on the goal line, and you call snag. Now, snag's a really good goal line concept that everybody has and everybody calls. Somebody was trying to tell me that it was like a bad play call because it forced a, a hard throw, and it's like, well, it, this is the NFL, for one. We're paying that guy a lot of money to make those hard throws. But also, everybody calls snag on the goal line. Um, snag is a concept where you will have one person on a flat route, so run kind of right at the pylon, one person at a corner, so you're trying to get a high-low, 
and then there is a uh, the snag, the titular route, is like a, a little curl right on the goal line further to the inside. So you have a horizontal stretch between the flat and the curl, and you have a vertical stretch between the flat and the corner, if that makes sense, right? And the progression usually is that you will alert the corner route. Basically, if you don't see someone deep, you throw that corner route immediately. That thing's going to be there, and for the defense to defend it, they have to start bailing immediately off the snap. So you can kind of tell right off the snap if that thing's going to be open or not. Wasn't open in this case, so we move off it. Uh, And then you just play that horizontal stretch. You usually have a defender in between the flat and the curl route, and whichever one he commits to, you throw to the other guy. Uh, So Cousins throws the flat, but the flat comes out late. His word's not mine. And it gets jumped and housed for a 99-yard pick six, feeling like a backbreaker of a play. By far the most impactful thing the Panthers had all day. And it was a bad play by the quarterback, an absolutely earned good play by the Carolina Panthers. I believe it deserved to be that impactful. And uh, Cousins brought up two, in after the game, two different reasons for this, or, or two different, I guess, things that he could improve himself on next time, I guess. Maybe that's a way to put it. One, throw it faster. And I think that that's totally fair. Either get more zip on it, which I don't, that one didn't quite come out as lazery as, he, as it usually does on those like sort of those out balls to the field side, to the longer side of the field. Um, didn't come out like that. So maybe it hung a little bit too much on him. Uh, and also he just wasn't quite fast enough to get the ball out of his hands. There was a little bit of an extra beat, a little extra toe bounce, and then the ball pat. And there was just a little bit too much time. If he could do that faster, he would have hit it. And that that defender wouldn't have had a chance at it. Or once you recognize I'm too late to throw this, this is a pick six if I throw this, pull it back down and go try to hit the spot, right? Uh, go, go go try to hit the snag, the, the curl route, which would have been TJ Hawkinson, which he also kind of said, hey, maybe if I hang on to that one and that's, that defender goes with the flat, maybe I can get him to declare it and go so far away from it that I can then throw the, the, the hitch behind him. Um, I'm not as sympathetic to that one. I don't know if that necessarily is the solve because that particular guy only came off the ball once the flat was, once the ball was thrown and it just hung up for so long that he was able to get off of it. Um, he was also like, was physically engaged with TJ Hawkinson who was running the, the, the spot route. Uh, and that should have slowed him up a little bit more than it did and good play by the DB to kind of get off of it and go, um, either way, either throw it earlier or wait till later and throw something else. Either way, bad play by Kirk cousins. Right. And it's the most impactful thing that happened to the offense was a bad play by Kirk cousins. Um, the other interception was very much more Ed Ingram's fault. Um, but I think there are, is something to be said about mobility in a, and in the Vikings who have a quarterback who does not scramble. He doesn't work the pocket nearly often enough when he does. It's super, super awesome. And we all pointed out because he doesn't do it a lot of the time. And there were a lot of opportunities in this game, I thought, to work the pocket in ways that we've seen him do, but just not consistently. Uh, and in ways that you'll see younger quarterbacks do all the time, the Joe Burrows and the Josh Allens. And yes, the, you know, the Mahomeses and the Hertzes and all the, all those other guys, you'll, you'll see them do that kind of stuff really consistently. Uh, it's something that if I recall, I thought Will Levis was even really good at coming out. And I didn't like him as a prospect, but at least I liked that trait. So it's something that, you know, being able to take a like there's there's a, a a third and five blitz from Jeremy Chin that ends up in a sack. 
free rusher, dude's in his face immediately, right? There's no world where you can expect him to get a ball out of his hands that quickly. He was top of his drop, guy hit him, like bang, bang. But I do think it's reasonable to expect him to try to at least sidestep that a little bit more and to show a little bit of elusiveness. A lot of quarterbacks can get out of that situation by using their legs. Cousins just crumples. Um, I that and that's always been who he is, right? That that is not his skill set. And what you're buying into is a different kind of quarterback that has different strengths. And I fully understand that. But this is one of those games where not having mobility in the pocket really, really cost you. And did it cost you more than you get from having a quarterback like Kirk that is usually pretty accurate, but has had a lot of misses this year. And that accuracy is weird. And I wonder, I don't know if his arm's dying on him and he's got to recalibrate or if he's just off or something. I don't know why, but we've had some accuracy issues this year. So we're not even really getting what we paid for. Um, the other thing I want to kind of look into, and I, this has got to be an all 22 thing. There were again, a lot of plays where he just held onto the ball forever, where it just really long pockets. And sometimes the, the line held up and sometimes it didn't, but it was just really slow. And sometimes that's routes developing slowly and, you know, you're seven step dropping and, and that's part of the play call. And sometimes it's reasonable to see. And sometimes he just looks at something and that he should throw, comes off it and takes a sack. It's the way that Kirk Cousins goes sometimes. Um, I don't know which one we're seeing in this game. Got to go look at what was actually happening down the field. You don't get to see that on TV. So we'll circle back, but it's something to kind of put a pin in and keep in mind. But really, no matter how you slice it, not a great game for Kirk Cousins, for a guy who kind of needs to have the season of his life to get that contract the way that uh, he's the, the way that a lot of people think that the Vikings should. Um, this is not that game. You, you still need more to, to get that extension. And that's kind of what we're watching is him falling behind that pace and us getting closer and closer to the next chapter of quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. Um, if you want to yell at me about that take or ask me any other questions, you can do so at Luke Braun NFL or at Locked On Vikings. And I'll answer your questions on Twitter Tuesday, tomorrow. You can also send me questions at LockdownVikingsPodcast at gmail.com or there's a Google form in the show notes that you can uh, fill out or leave a YouTube comment and I'll probably answer it there. I'll see y'all tomorrow for that. And as always, skull.